0: Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 94 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. I hope this episode finds you well, and I thank you for giving me some of your time today. On today's episode, we're revisiting a theme we've done before, animal phrases. My husband brought up a few animal phrases that we were both a bit shocked I hadn't already done, as they are fairly well-known ones. So, I'm doing them now. Before we get started, I wanted to ask if you've visited the merch store yet. If you haven't checked it out, there's a link in the show notes. Alright, with that ado out of the way, let's move right into today's phrases, origins, history, And more. First up today is the saying, a bull in a china shop. This one is mostly used to say that someone is clumsy, but can also be used to describe any kind of aimless destruction or a loss of self-control leading to anger. The idea behind this one is that a large bull inside a china shop filled with extremely breakable items would likely lead to a bunch of those extremely breakable items being broken as the big guy moves around. This is yet another phrase with an origin lost to history, but it had to be by around at least the early 19th century, as it was in a book of poems in 1807. It was published in England by a man named George Ashburner, but I couldn't find out anything more about him. Anyway, the book was called Ashburner's New Vocal and Poetic Repository. Since this seems to be a collection of poems, the saying must be older, but even so I wasn't able to track down the original author of the poem, which is called A Bull in a China Shop. I'm going to read you the poem, but first I need to tell you that the term Mag's Diversion was used at the time to say Disorderly Antics. This is written in kind of an older English, and I'm just reading a transcript, so please excuse any mistakes. I think you'll get the general gist of the poem. Okay, here's the poem. A Bull in a China Shop You've heard of a frog in an opera hat Tis a very old tale of a mouse and a rat I could sing you another, as pleasant mayhap, of a kitten that wore a fine high-called cap. But my muse on a far nobler subject shall drop, a bull who got into a china shop, with his right leg, left leg, upper leg, under leg, Patrick's day, in the morning. He popped in by chance at the china shop door, where they very soon found that the bull was a boar, the shopman to drive him out tried with much care, the floor being covered with crockery ware, and among it resenting the shopman's taunt, The bull began dancing the cow's carant with his right leg. Whatever with his feet he couldn't assail, he made ducks and drakes with his horns and tail. So frisky he was with his downs and his ups, each tea service proved he was quite in his cups. He played Mag's diversion among all the crates. He splintered the dishes and dished all the plates, with his right leg sick. The china shop master, a little fat man, popped in and the bull at him furiously ran, caught him up by the waistband without more ado, and tossed him completely the shop window through. The poor little fat man flew up like a dart, and down he came plump in a scavenger's cart with his right leg. The poor china seller retrieved this affray, but his neighbors laugh at him to this very day. He has a nickname toward a Mark. Jay, or they, one and all, call him the Little Mudlark. While the joke he enjoys, grateful for the relief, but from that day to this, he can't stomach bull beef with his right leg. Okay, so we know about when this saying probably came into use, but is it true? Will a bull in a china shop destroy everything? Well, in January of 1940, Jim Moran, an American publicist and press agent, put a bull in a china shop in New York as a publicity stunt. The bull himself didn't smash a single dish, but someone who was there watching did move out of the way of the bull and backed into a table, which did break some china. So maybe the saying should be a person moving out of the way of a bull in a china shop. Also of note, the Mythbusters set up an experiment for this saying too, by setting up several shelves filled with china inside a corral. None of the bulls they released into the corral bumped into or knocked anything over. But some people said it wasn't a valid experiment, as the bulls had enough room to go around the ends of the aisles and didn't have to turn around amid the stocked shelves. But since Moran did his experiment in an actual china shop, I'm willing to say that this saying, while it does nicely evoke an image of mayhem, isn't so destructive after all. Before moving on, something I found interesting while researching this is that English seems to be the only language that uses a bull in this saying. Several other languages feature a similar saying, but every one of those that I saw mentioned an elephant instead of a bull, and some used a glass shop instead of a china shop. Now let's do some flying. When pigs fly is a way to say something will never happen. This hyperbole can be traced back to the similar saying in a Latin-English dictionary called A Short Dictionary Most Profitable for Young Beginners, which was written by John Withels, an English lexicographer. The dictionary had several editions, and I found one source that said this was in an edition from 1586, but most sources indicated it wasn't included until a 1616 edition. Either way, he included this Scottish proverb, quote, Pigs fly in the air with their tails forward. End quote. While this sounds a bit different, the meaning is the same something impossible. It just has a little more fun with the idea, suggesting that if a pig could fly, then a pig flying backwards wouldn't be any less impossible. The age of the Scottish proverb is unknown, but this tells us that the saying had to be at least as old as the late 16th or early 17th century. However, since it was already considered a proverb at this time, it's safe to assume that it's a good bit older. In 1732, Thomas Fuller, an English historian, published Nomologia, Adages and Proverbs, Wise Sentences and Witty Sayings, Ancient and Modern, Foreign and British. If that sounds familiar, I talked about this book of Proverbs in both episode 20 and 39, so this isn't our first trip into this book. Anyway, he included this in his book, quote, That is as likely to see as a hog fly, end quote. Then in 1835, Charles Whitehead, an English poet, novelist, and dramatist, wrote the autobiography of Jack Ketch, who was an English executioner. Now, an autobiography is typically written by the person it's about, but Ketch died in 1686, so even though the name is a bit misleading, Ketch didn't pin the book about himself. I'm not sure why Whitehead called it an autobiography, but in the book, Whitehead wrote, quote, Yes, pigs may fly, but they're very unlikely birds. End quote. One last thing about flying pigs. In 1909, the English aviation pioneer John Theodore Cuthbert Moore Brabazon decided to prove this saying wrong. He strapped a piglet into a wastebasket and took it up in his biplane. While I can appreciate how adorable this probably was, it doesn't really disprove the saying, as it's referring to actual winged pigs taking to the sky. Now let's be quiet. Quiet as a church mouse is a saying that means to be really quiet. However, mice can make a lot of noise for their size, so what makes the church variety so soft-spoken? This saying is actually a malaphor, which, if you need a reminder, is two figures of speech that have been combined into one, usually because they sound or mean something similar. This is a combination of the two sayings quiet as a mouse and poor as a church mouse. Now, quiet as a mouse actually stemmed from the earlier saying still as a mouse. Mice, while able to move quite fast, can be extremely still if need be still as a mouse, has been in use since at least the early 14th century, but the exact origin is unknown. By the 16th or 17th century, people were also using quiet as a mouse, and they have been used interchangeably ever since. Poor as a church mouse means extremely poor. This one is also a bit ambiguous, but it is thought to have been an evolution of an older saying, poor as Job a man who had literally everything taken from him in the Bible. James Howell, an Anglo-Welsh historian and writer, published a collection of Proverbs in 1659. It was titled Parameographia Proverbs, or Old Sage Saves and Adages in English, or the Saxon Tongue, Italian, French, and Spanish, whereunto the British for their great antiquity and weight are added. Okay, seriously, did all these proverb collectors make a pact to only use really long titles for their books? Anyway, he included this saying in his book, but wrote it as hungry as a church mouse instead of poor as one. The main theory for why it became a mouse instead of Job is that churches don't often have a lot of food storage, or at least they didn't in old-timey times. A mouse living in a church wouldn't have much in the way of food, Hence why it has also been said with hungry in place of poor. No one is sure exactly when these two sayings became one, but it was likely just due to the similarity in a still mouse and a quiet one, combined with a much older, at least an idea, poor church mouse. Now let's hide in plain sight. I want to explore two phrases together now, because they're similar. A wolf in sheep's clothing means someone is devious, dishonest, or false. A fox in the henhouse means someone exploits situations and other people in order to benefit themselves. A wolf in sheep's clothing can be traced back to the Bible. The book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 15, says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now, some people say that this was actually one of Aesop's fables first. While at least some of both the Bible and Aesop's fables were written around the same time in the 6th century BC, the book of Matthew wasn't written until at least the year 60 AD, maybe a bit later. So Aesop may have the origin claim on this one. Well, as much as a compiler of fables can claim an origin. Here is a translation of the fable. Once upon a time, a wolf resolved to disguise his appearance in order to secure food more easily. Encased in the skin of a sheep, he pastured with the flock, deceiving the shepherd by his costume. In the evening, he was shut up by the shepherd in the fold, the gate was closed, and the entrance made thoroughly secure. But the shepherd, returning to the fold during the night to obtain meat for the next day, mistakenly caught up the wolf instead of a sheep and killed him instantly. Since the Bible and Aesop's fables were and still are incredibly popular, it's no surprise that this saying has been used as a proverb and fable in many languages, all with warnings to be aware of someone's true intentions, or to not be deceitful. Now how about the fox and the hen house? This one can be traced back to ancient Rome, as the Latin saying ovum lupo commentere, which translates into to set a wolf to guard sheep. So not only do the sayings have a similar meaning, but they both, at least in the beginning, used wolf as the offending animal. They also share a biblical connection. In the book of Luke, chapter 13, verses 31 and 32, we find this. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto him, Get thee out, and depart hence, for Herod will kill thee. And he said unto them, Go ye, and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Here, Jesus is calling Herod a fox, implying that he was the kind of person who would exploit others for his own benefit. Once again, we can thank the popularity of the Bible for the widespread use of this saying. Now I have one more deceitful animal phrase to share today. If someone is a snake in the grass, then they're untrustworthy. Specifically, when they're able to hide their true intentions behind a facade of helpfulness, this saying is thought to have been coined by the Roman poet Virgil in the year 37 B.C. In his third eclogue, he wrote the line "Latent anguis in herba," which translates to "A snake lurks in the grass." In the late thirteenth century, the saying made its way to England, then said as "Comtotum fessiputus." Latent Angua in Urba, which translates to, Though everything looks clean, a snake lurks in the grass. Or at least if I said it properly, that's what it translates to. Anyway, the first print use in English that I found was in 1696. It was in the title of a book by Leslie Charles, an Irish controversialist and non-juror. The book was titled, get ready for this, The Snake in the Grass, or Satan Transformed into an Angel of Light. Discovering the deep and unsuspected subtlety which is couched under the pretend simplicity of many of the principal leaders of those people called Quakers. Seriously, after this episode, I'm truly convinced that many old-timey-times writers never heard the expression, less is more. Anyway, that's the journey from start to English for this phrase, so now it's time for today's Familiar Quotation. Topper's Today's Familiar Quotation is from Steve Irwin. Quote, Crocodiles are easy. They try to kill and eat you. People are harder. Sometimes they try to be your friend first. End quote. Thank you, Steve, for giving us today's Familiar Quotation. all right toppers it's time for today's for better or for words love advice from old timey times remember that this advice is over a hundred years old and i'm sharing it for entertainment purposes only now let's hear from the ladies first don't sulk with your husband if he has annoyed you about something get it off your chest A sulky wife is as bad as a termagant. And now for the men. Don't refuse your wife's overtures when next you meet if you have, unfortunately, had a bit of a breeze. Remember, it cost her something to make them, and if you weren't a bit of a pig, you would save her the embarrassment by making them yourself. All right, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 94. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. Check out my website, turnofphrases.com, to find out information about the show's social media, for details about the music I use in the show, and much more. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast. Researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, watch out for the wolves, foxes, and snakes. Toodaloo! And Now Let me rephrase. All right, with that ado out of the way, let's move. No. Let's, move. <laughs> let's move. Let's move. Let's <laughs> move. Move. Let's move. Either way, he included this squattish, squattish? (laughs) Discovering the deep and unsuspected subtlety